if you need to build something, or so you have this document too. That's a great, that's the good thing about doing this exercise is you have this document where you have your processes listed out. You can map them if you're a visual person. And now you have something to reference and check every so often, right? And then so when a, a business user or a leader comes to you and says, we have, we need to automate something or we need to do something faster or better. You have this list. You're like, okay, that's this process. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Revenue Insights. Today, I'm joined by Asia Corbett, who's the Senior Revenue Operations Manager of GoToMarket at Red Financial. That is a really wordy one to get my mouth around. I know. (laughs) It's a long long one. Asia, you've had had an amazing career starting out as like a financial analyst, and then you've gone on this awesome journey into business intelligence for a bit at Presence Learning, which I've heard you kind of talk a lot about before. And then through to PostLine, and then, oh, here you are today, and you're at Brev Financial. Firstly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's great to have you on. I think I've given a little bit of insight into it, but what I'd love to hear it from your perspective about what has your journey been to get to this point? Yeah, so, you know, it's funny, actually. I fully believed and wanted to, at one point, be a CFO. <laughs> and when I graduated college, I had this 12-year plan no lie, written down. I have it in a notebook somewhere on like the steps and like where I needed to be in years one through four and then four through eight and so on and so forth. And so the first couple of years in my career, I was focused on trying to get to financial analyst roles and like really go down that path. And I kept getting into these, I call them like tangential finance roles, because while there was always an element of finance, accounting, there was also a deep like workflow operational piece. Like how can we do things repeatable, make them more efficient? How can I manage all of my work intake requests from people that are asking me for things in email? And back then we didn't have, I didn't have access to some of these really awesome tools that exist today to do that. And that was always in the back of my mind. And I hit a point where I was like, I feel like I need to make a decision. I need to either like really double down on this finance path, or I can go into operations more deeply and see what that means. And when I got into tech, I discovered Salesforce and go-to-market tools. And now today I'm kind of in revenue operations, but I've been doing aspects of that over my career. So I feel like I've been in operations for a long time (laughs) now. And I really love it. I love the collaborative nature of it. I love the problem solving. I love the process design. I like tools too. Tools are fun and the data is fun, but I like how I can do all of those different things, support teams. My day looks different every day, not like finance. So I think I'm in the right place. And that's kind of how I got to where I am today. 
Nice. And I like that most of the kind of revels people I speak to are like, yeah, I love data. I'm like, oh, God. I understand that. But actually, I love, we'll dig into a bit more around like the process side of things as well, because I think there's a really interesting conversation to be had. Mm -hmm. Before we get there, I think the first time that I heard about you, Asia, was you were over at Rev Genius, and then you moved over and now you're at Bread Financial. So what was the inspiration behind the move and what are you working on now? Yeah. So Rev Genius, for people who don't know, is a online community of revenue professionals across the globe. I think there's like upwards of 20,000 members in there. Now it's sales, marketing, customer success, revenue operations. Folks primarily live in a Slack group, but it's a community. And as a company, a very early stage. So I've kind of found that it's very challenging, very challenging to be in very early stage companies in general. It doesn't matter what role you're in. And I think I was looking for, and I loved my time at Rev Genius and the kind of creative things that I got to do that are not typically revenue operations things. Like I got to run and plan conferences and a lot of virtual events and digital events. So that was really fun. But I kind of wanted to go back to my operations roots, my go-to-market operations roots. I really love that go-to-market strategy and operationalizing it. So I was I knew that I needed to kind of go back to that. And that's why I went to Bread. Actually, I went to Bread because I met my boss in one of the communities and we'd known each other already for a little while. And I was like, how cool would it be to work with somebody that I know? And that's kind of the power of community too, I think. So that's why I chose that over any other company. I really wanted to work with, I was conscious of like, okay, where am I going? What's the company culture like? Who am I going to be working with? Who is my team? Those were important things to me. I think that if you happen to be really passionate about financial services or really passionate about something, that's great. But over the years, I found that the industry matters less to me. It's really more about the people and the work that I'm doing, right? My operations work. I was enjoying reading your LinkedIn like before this and it felt like <laughs> it, this is all like coming full circle from like your, when you started out as like a financial analyst yeah. at like Bosch and Stanford to yep. coming back around to like financial again. No, I like that. It feels like you went off on a... Oh, right. Like in the, uh, yeah. It felt like you went off on a bit of a tangent at Rev Genius of just like, okay, well, this is a, I mean, a unique role for sure. Yeah. And then it feels like a bit of a homecoming. Yeah, definitely. You touched on a a point that I'm quite interested to dig into. When I was listening to an older podcast that you've done, you were talking about a lot of the places that you've gone to have been based on like the company values that they have. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned that you kind of uh, going to bread was based around like your bosses and that you met in the community. But I guess I reckon that there's a bigger point to that, right? What are those company values that you were looking for? Yeah, I think one of the most important ones is transparency especially from the leadership level. So we were acquired and I joined like the startup part of the company that was acquired. And there can be sometimes when you're in a larger company, it's, I've worked for a larger company before and it's challenging to get, I think, and even information from leadership. And so transparency and openness, I think has to be really important. It is at Bread. It has been at other companies. Smaller ones, it can be easier to do that. but Also, sometimes they don't do that. And it really leaves people feeling like confused, what's going on. 
Sometimes you can't do your job because you're just wondering like what's happening in the company. I think that is a really big part. And then like maybe a, a level down from that, and a, a more specific to like where I'm working and my team or like the team that I'm on is what is the culture around operations in general? How does the go-to-market teams, how do the go-to-market teams view revenue operations? Are they bought into like the philosophy of revenue operations, right? Does revenue operations support all of go-to-market? Because if it doesn't, then you're not really a revenue operations team. You're a functional team. And that's also okay. But does revenue operations as a discipline a disservice? Because we are meant to support all the revenue generating teams, not just one. So what does the company or what does the the go-to-market team think about revenue operations? And how do they see them supporting initiatives? And I'm very lucky that our team does view revenue operations as like this revenue accelerator, supporting all these go-to-market teams. And we partner with other teams outside of the go-to-market, obviously, that support some of those business processes. And so that's also very important because you see a lot of revenue operations roles coming, coming popping up and revenue operations leadership roles. And it's like really important to understand what the company is thinking when they're putting that out there. Do they truly want someone who is focused on the entire buyer's journey, all of those business processes and systems end to end, or are they looking for a sales ops leader or are they looking for a marketing ops leader? So that was another thing that was really important to me. And then the, the others is just like, what kind of people, I guess, do you bring into your, your organization? And I'm very blessed to have an amazing team that I work with. I it's a breath of fresh air. I've been a team of one for the last couple of years, and now I'm on a proper like RevOps team, and everyone is great, really. Amazing. If I guess you're probably at the stage now where it's like, I'm all about having whole RevOps teams, right? Other than having like a team of one. Yes. But if yes. you were, and based off of your experience of having done that before, and I guess I'm going to make an assumption here, you've probably been in places in the past where the, the entire leadership team isn't perhaps brought into revenue operations. And so if you're kind of talking to someone who was going into that, or even better, because a lot of our audience tend to be kind of revenue leaders, and they're at the point of, eh, I don't really get it yet. What would be your advice to them to, I guess, embrace revenue operations, but also in terms of getting teams aligned on it? Yeah. Yeah, I talked about this with another people, some people in the industry recently, a month ago. And part of an organizational change like that is behavioral, mental. It's so you have to start with like, hey, this is why this is important. And I found that trying to connect like a dollar amount to what can happen if you don't adopt the sort of model. I think one of the most, the, one of the easiest examples to understand is if you think about your tech stack. That people love to talk about the tech stack. And you think about your maybe your core three tools, maybe four. One is a CRM, second is a marketing automation platform, third is a sales intelligence engagement platform, like an outreach or a sales loft, and then your data tool, data warehouse, if you are big enough to have and have budget for that. Who is looking across all those systems and making sure that those systems and those integrations? are supporting the business processes and not trying to shove business processes into your systems, right? Like you're saying, oh, I I like, I want all these tools. This is a great tool. I was sold this. Now let's try to make everything fit versus 
let's take a step back and really think about what is our sales motion? Is it heavily outbound? Do we have marketing right now? How early stage are we? Where are we in our our company life cycle? Then mapping the process out, then gathering the requirements, then building it because now you're building something sustainable. How is that connecting to all the systems? How is all of that information flowing between all your go-to-market teams? What if something breaks somewhere and you have sales ops? Who's looking at the processes that impact marketing and the marketing operations side of things or on, on marketing operations? Who's looking at the Marketo and saying, okay, if I make a change here, how does that get into Salesforce or how does that get into Gainsight or whatever downstream? When you're siloed like that, it just doesn't happen. Things break a lot. There's definitions of really important key go-to-market metrics and terms that are missed. So when you have a centralized a little bit more under a team or a person who's looking across all of those revenue generating functions, that's where the value is. Bring more revenue faster in the door. So I would say try to find examples, you know, in your company of where there's operational silos and then think about how that could be impacting your revenue number. And then the second thing is, (laughs) as you're thinking about building out this team or bringing on this person, depending on how big your company is or like what size, what stage you're in, and large enterprise companies with very complex revenue streams, it's obviously going to be a lot harder to stand up a revenue operations organization, right? But you can still make moves towards that. You can make moves towards, okay, who do we have right now? Do we have sales ops and marketing ops? How can we unite them together? Things like that. But it's a very touchy subject in some circles. I recognize. I recognize it's a people change too. And that's also hard. So I think that I guess a piece of advice is just sort of lean into the discomfort a little bit because it's uncomfortable and change is uncomfortable. But knowing that it's going to be better for you and the organization in the long run, the numbers, the dollars and the people. Yeah. And to those people that you kind of referenced, that is a is a sensitive subject, right? Yeah. If they were in a situation where, okay, maybe they've got like a, a RevOps manager in place, or maybe they have no one at all and they've just got like business operations or, or sales operations, what characteristics do you think they're looking for in that person that they need to bring in to they can trust in to actually take ownership of it and start building these processes and these operations out? Yeah, I think that's a little tricky because... If you're looking for someone to, not to say that if you're earlier in your career or if you are a RevOps manager, you can't build. I think that a lot of revenue operations, operations people in general are really scrappy and are are capable of doing these things. But looking for strong project management skills, the ability to uh, systems thinking. So thinking about how something can have an impact elsewhere in the organization, like the tech stack, for example. Those are really, really important. You could probably look for someone with some level of Salesforce or HubSpot or technical skills. Once you, I don't know if this is for everybody. I feel like once you know one system and kind of understand how it works, and I was very lucky, I think, to start off in Salesforce. So I was able to pick up other systems more easily. So if you have someone who is a pretty good technical, has some good technical skills, but doesn't need to be a developer, doesn't need to be three times certified. Doesn't need to be, can be, but you want someone who's going to be able to manage multiple things at any given time, communicate with stakeholders, 
present to leadership. That's really important. Like I had to learn throughout my career that executives don't like 12 slides in a deck to explain something. They want three and get to the point and also recommend a solution, whether that's the solution you go with or not. It kind of shows that like I'm bringing you something, but also I'm proposing a way to fix it. And yeah, I mean, I think think those are kind of my top of mind things. And it will enable that person to do these things faster. I think when you're thinking about building project management skills, put together a project plan, right? I'm going to roll out sales loft. How do we do that? You don't just plug it into Salesforce. There's steps you have to take, right? So I'm hearing a lot of uh, be organized in a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're absolutely right. I think as the RevOps function matures over time, you're naturally going to get start getting more and more people that are like that. I think as you've probably talked about a lot in like in your earlier career, but then things like being able to present and being able to actually explain what it is that you do in a very simple way is something that takes time and experience to get to. So I think more of those individuals are certainly starting to emerge now. And I do want to dig into a bit more specifics around, I guess, organization as a whole. Now, (laughs) I know you love talking about being process-driven, and I think that would be a key part of that individual anyway that we were just talking about. But from your perspective, in super simple terms, why is it so important to you to for revenue operations and I guess revenue teams to be so process-driven? Yeah, I think it's important because... The process is like the foundation of everything from an operational perspective. So when you're building something, even something like a dashboard, okay, if my leader comes to me and says, hey, what's the average time it takes to onboard a new customer? And guess what? We're not, we haven't thought about our customer onboarding process. It's very manual right now. People are living out of Gmail. I have zero visibility and you have zero visibility into how that's going. What's our onboarding process? We don't have one. We can't measure it, right? So, and customer onboarding is really important for retention. Retention impacts your revenue. So that process is the foundation for everything that you're doing in the go-to-market. And when you're focused on other things like building reports and dashboards or running SQL and database or standing up new systems, that's that the risk is that you forget about those things. Because for a lot of people, it's not fun. I like it, but I know not everyone likes to sit down and draw a process map or sit down and do a process audit and think about in marketing, what are the operational pieces that we're doing right now? Are we doing lead scoring? What are the steps in the lead scoring model? How does that connect to our, our scoring and marketing automation and so on and so forth? So if there's one thing that I could like emphasize, it's that the process is the foundation. It's like building a house. You wouldn't go inside the house and start putting pictures up on the wall, right? Like that's your reports and dashboards because that's the fun, like exciting, pretty stuff. You got to build the house first. Mm, You can't just put pictures on the wall and put decorations out and landscape the front yard. So that's kind of how I like to think about that. So how do you build the house then? But what's the process from going, okay, i got a problem here. Yeah. Say it's like marketing automation or something, right? Yeah. Uh, what is your process to go from, right, I've got a problem, and then working out what that process is that you need to build around it to building it, and then you get someone like me come in and I start putting pictures up on the wall? Yeah. 
So the first thing that I like to, the first exercise to do is what I call a process audit. I don't know if this is a real term or not. I made it up. I love it. (laughs) But going department by department. So I think of the three core departments, marketing, sales, and CS or post-sale. In each of those departments, listing out literally in a Google sheet what the processes are. So in marketing, that's lead lifecycle management, lead scoring if we're doing lead scoring, campaign operations, nurture, streams, any kind of event marketing flows, operations around that. So I would list those out. Then I will list the steps, high level steps at this point in each of those processes. So in lead scoring, right, that's lead comes in. What There are four forms. Two of the forms are fast track to SQL because they're demos, right? So listing those out. And then from there, okay, are there gaps, right? Do I see any gaps? Then going to marketing. Okay, here's kind of what I put together around all the processes that are going around in marketing right now. Is there anything missing from this list, first of all? Second, do you see any gaps here? Are there things that we're not capturing in these processes? Starting to think about that. And then going into the system. So the second part of that is a system audit. What's going on in HubSpot right now? There's a, in, I don't know if you use HubSpot or not, but when you connect it to Salesforce, there's a, in the back end, there's a section that's called like sync health or sync settings. And it kind of tells you in a dashboard sync errors and different kinds of sync errors. And one time in my career, I didn't realize that you should probably check that often. And the person who was handing it off to me was, I was like, there's four errors here. It's like, no, don't worry about those. I don't know what that is, but don't worry about it. And I was like, okay. So I'm getting well on my way. And like a couple months in, I like look at that number again. There's a big number. There's a big number. It's like four. Underneath is how many records are actually affected. It was like in the thousands. Oh my God. And because of the sync errors, those thousand records were not being pushed into Salesforce. (laughs) That's a disaster. Those were leads. Yeah. Uh, that pains me more than anything. <laughs> yeah. So that's something then you're like, okay, what is my process for maintaining system integrity? Need to have an audit. Need to have a data governance framework. Need to make sure that we check these things on a regular basis so that that kind of stuff doesn't happen or the occasions in which this happens is very, very rare. So those are, those are my steps for like going through the audit part. Then if you need to build something, right? So you have this document too. That's a great, that's the good thing about doing this exercise is you have this document where you have your processes listed out. You can map them if you're a visual person. And now you have something to reference and check every so often, right? And then, so when a a business user or a leader comes to you and says, we have, we need to automate something or we need to do something faster or better. You have this list. You're like, okay, that's this process. Let's take a look. Where does the lead scoring, I'm just throwing that one out there, where does that impact other business processes and other systems, other teams? And then you can start to put together a plan to build and design something new or iterate on what you have. Then you go into the system and build it if it's a system thing. End result is you can uh, monitor it in your reporting tool of choice. We do a lot of reporting in Salesforce. So, oh, another thing is when you're building the process and thinking about it, I like to push benchmarking the beginning and then looking at 
couple months down the line, how your benchmark is performing. So with the lead score, for example, saying at the beginning, okay, we have nothing. We're, we just rolled out a lead scoring model. So there's no scores, but how is that changing over time? What kinds of people are hitting that MQL threshold? Is that the right threshold? Are those the right attributes that we're scoring? So that you can make changes and make it better, improve it over time. Simple as that. Yeah. No, I, I really like the way that you're kind of thinking about it. So I guess the only thing is, my only question, once you've got this massive list and you know how to go and deliver it, how on earth do you then work out, okay, this is going to be the most impactful thing that I can do today? Oh, yeah. So I think what goes hand in hand with this is a roadmap. And again, it can be like a Google Sheet. If you're just starting to do this practice, because again, this is a skill too, and it's something that I also have to learn. And Throughout my career, I didn't just know how to do it right away. So you, you can start in a Google Sheet. And the way that I broke it out was at a column for the, the department. So which area does something impact? Is it marketing, sales, CS, like the core? Because some will cross teams, of course. But when I would think about the project, I'm like, which core department is this for? And then the business impact, I had a column for that. So I would, it's an exercise of thinking about what would be the business impact of this rolling out this project or rolling out this improvement. And then something else that's really important for this exercise to work really well is if your company is doing uh, like OKRs or if they have some sort of goal setting framework, because then you can tie all your work to the OKRs. Now, if you don't have that or not doing that, your go-to-market team might have set some goals in the revenue all hands. And I one time, I literally just pulled those out. They weren't OKRs, but they were like one of the goals, I think, was free trial campaign, for example. So what do you want out of that? You want people to convert into opportunities. So when I'm thinking about some of the projects, I'm like, okay, this project is going to impact that positively. So I'm going to tie this project to that goal. And here's the business impact also. And so I have a list put together and I'm like, okay, if there's something on this list that is not aligned to those goals, bump down the priority. If there's something on the list that would break Salesforce that I'm thinking is going to impact multiple flows or might mess up some integrations, that's at the top of the list. So I would do my own prioritization based on that and then take it to the go-to-market leaders so that they can also look and I get a pulse check that way. And then ultimately you you go over it with your boss and your boss could be the CEO, which is great because, you know, the CEO can just knock off stuff or it might be a CRO, but then your manager should also give you feedback on how to prioritize things too. Yeah. I think we forget that because we still report to somebody, right? Yeah, I noticed I have a similar kind of process, actually. We've got this long list of things to do. Oh, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, yeah. being realistic, I'm never going to get through all of these. Exactly. And so actually, it's yeah. all about like making that decision on, okay, how do I, what is the most impactful thing? So it's a great point around like on OKRs and goals and actually aligning it with that. Because I mean, from a marketing standpoint, it can be so uh, tempting to do the vanity thing that's like, ah, oh, this is going to look really nice. Yeah. Or I imagine in, in a RevOps world, it's like probably getting like your data aligned or in order or something like that. Yes. Where it's just yep. like, oh, it's going to look so great, but actually has very little impact on the bottom line. So 
Yep. Yeah. At the time, anyway, right? Yeah. 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 The, the boring, the boring stuff. I tried to convince myself it's impactful. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'm conscious that we're coming up to time. I've got one last question for you. Yeah. From your career up until this point, what has been the one like biggest challenge that you've come up against that you've learned something from? I think it's still how revenue operations is positioned. Though I've been in lots of different operations roles over throughout my career, or I've been on business operations teams, it's justifying the work that we do, I think, and how it's important. And particularly when you're in revenue operations and revenue is in the title and that justification of like, okay, well, your cost and not a, you're not going out and closing deals. You're not like producing marketing campaigns. You're not signing renewals or upsells. And so I think that's been a challenge that I actually am very lucky where we are right now and how the organization views revenue operations. That's a direct like testament to our leader, our director, but that's not the norm in a lot of companies in my experience. So I think it's that. It's how revenue operations is positioned. And I think I'm hopeful that in the next five to 10 years, we won't be defining what it is. <laughs> and we won't have conversations where it's like, well, revenue operations is different at every company. It'll be something sort of standardized, right? Like a company has a finance department and has financial analysts. It'll be something like that is what I'm envisioning. And then the other part is like balancing tactical and strategic work because at a point in my career, I was like, this is I like too in the weeds and I'm always reactive to stuff. And a lot of operations, people talk about that. We're always reactive or ticket takers and order takers. And so over my career, I've also had to sort of readjust and reframe my expectations around what operations is because there's always going to be an element of tactical work because it's operations. You got it. It's like how things work. How do you keep the clock? ticking and working, even if it's automated, you still have to have oversight over it. So balancing that with things like building a roadmap, doing process audits, right? The planning, the prioritizing, the more strategic work, they have to live together and they can. And I think that just by the nature of revenue of operations, unless you're the COO or a director in a large company, you're going to be doing a lot of tactical work. And so I've had to learn to lean into that and like it. And I do now. I like configuring stuff sometimes in Salesforce. It's not my favorite part. My favorite part is like process design, but I have figured out how to like, I don't know, change my mindset around it a little bit so that I thinking I'm enjoying it when I'm doing it sometimes. (laughs) I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. So I think everything up until that point answered my question. And now I get the feeling it's like, yeah, there's just some stuff that I really don't like that we all have that, right? I think that's, I think it's everything. Exactly. Every role, there's some aspect that you're not going to like doing. And that's also okay. That's realistic. And so having realistic expectations when you go into a role, like you're not going to love what you're doing 100% of the time. You're just not. And I think that I'm in a, place in my career where I've had all these experiences that I can say, okay, what do I really like about revenue operator or about being an operator? I like X, Y, Z. And that's 70 to 80% of what I'm doing. Great. I've made it. That's more than half. Beautiful. That's a, an 80 is an A. 
curving the glass. <laughs> now that was a beautiful sign-off. Asia, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. As a final sign-off for everyone listening, where can they learn a little bit more about you, hear more about what you're talking about? The stage is all yours. Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn as Asia Corbett, and I post or try to post a lot about revenue operations topics. But you can also message me if you want to chat more in depth about any of those things. Yeah. So I think I have a Twitter, but I don't really use Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stick to LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Asia, thank you so much. Thank you to everyone that has been listening. Um, we'll catch you all next week. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.